everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Uh, today I'm talking to Holly Anderson. Holly is a painter and an old friend. The oldest friend I've had who's been curated here at House Conspiracy. We go back, well, about eight years, actually. Um, she's immensely talented, and she's a really interesting artist in the way she approaches and considers her work... Um, and I've never, of course, really known her to be a conventional thinker. And maybe it takes us a minute or two to hit a groove in this podcast. But when we do, we have some really, really interesting discussions around uh, construction of truth and uh, the art event, as I think we put it once or twice. But here's some regular housekeeping. Um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org. Uh, learn more about our artists and uh, about how we can support you. Um, but for now, on to the show. Holly Anderson is performing a seance, her studio haunted by a spirit, the spirit of Audrey Hepburn's Holly Go Lightly. All her works are pressings, cartoons, tiny paintings, all of them records of the constructed interactions between, and allusions to, the two Hollies supposedly present in the studio during this residency. Holly talks a lot about this during the podcast, this idea of implied presence via the art act, thus speaking to the construction of truth. She also talks about how messy her studio is, and... Well, it is. There are paintbrushes and canvases and drop sheets and cups of tea. It's a mess, but it has to be. She's summoning a spirit, after all. And now, let's summon Holly Anderson. I've known you for quite a long time, for um, context. I've known you pretty much since the beginning of high school. Yes. Um, Yes. And we did art together, and I remember what you were focused on back uh, then in Back in art, the day. Uh, which was Lindsay Lohan. Oh, that's right. That's right. And um, now, now, of course, now, of course, you're dealing while you're here in Audrey Hepburn. But I, so I figured I'd sort of start by asking you, your parents are artists. Indeed. How has growing up with parents as artists influenced you did you become an artist because they were artists did their art influence your art do you feel there's a connection there like talk about i guess growing up in an art house art house um i don't know i guess it was just it was just really really normal for me for ages and then i started to find it really really weird when i went to art school and realized this was not normal situation apparently but um I don't know. When I was really young, I didn't want to be an artist because my parents were artists and I didn't want to, like, copy them or something. Yeah. But now it's just... I just feel really comfortable um, doing this. I don't know. I I feel like there's also just little things that you pick up. Like, I think we use, like, the same brands of paint and, like, we also both paint, I guess, Mm. as well. So I think there's... Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. Yeah, you're one of sort of the only um, traditional sort of media artists we've had through this space. I mean, aside from sort of performance and writing, which obviously, but in terms of visual art. Yeah. um, But then what you've been doing in this residency hasn't been particularly traditional. And I want to talk about that a little bit later on, um, because I haven't seen work from you that's like this before. Mm. Um, But in terms of sort of... (laughs) What did you want to be when you didn't want to be an artist? 
Um, I think I wanted to do ballet or <laughs> I don't know. I was just really interested in these kind of really often these like really feminized um, jobs, stuff like that. And I think that's maybe that's even what I make work about today is these feminized kind of positions. But um, yeah, I think I wanted to be a ballerina. I think I wanted to maybe be a chef or like an interior designer mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just liked, um, but I mean, I was just interested in the images of of those careers rather than the actual thing. When you were younger, could yeah. you differentiate between the images and the thing, or were they sort of so probably intertwined? Not. Yeah, <laughs> I was a child. <laughs> probably <laughs> not. I don't know. And so you've dealt with. Um, so you deal with feminized positions is what you just said maybe I just what, kind what of, do you mean yeah. by that like what um, what defines something that's that's feminized well, what it, what are the traits about it that attract you to it well I think that's I think it's a mysterious thing because it's I'm interested in I mean if some, something's feminine it's like culturally coded as mm-hmm. being feminine it's there's like no kind of I wouldn't say there's like anything necessarily female male I guess in terms like these of these like um in terms of femininity which is supposed to be about sort of superficial characteristics or something mm. so um I don't know it's I'm I'm looking at kind of how these there's all these like funny characters and positions that um girls and women can like have to have to inhabit and um how those things are generationally re-inhabited yeah Mm. so so are you dealing then with in a way tradition and are you examining that tradition are you trying to subvert it I think so I think I take up a kind of complicit critique I think because I recognize that I'm part of a wider a wider cultural system and Mm -hmm. I do feel like um I am a fan of, say, like, Audrey Hepburn. Like, I would classify myself as a fan, but I'd also, like, I know that there's things about that fanishness that come from kind of these internalised things, just from marinating in this place for (laughs) this time for so long. Like, this place and time being sort of like Western Australian... Young white women mm-hmm. looking to other young white women in media. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, because you have been attracted to that for a while. Um, and I sort of want to start with, I remember I have this particularly fond memory of us in the, the art uh, classroom together and uh, you showing me what, what Lindsay Lohan's favorite memory was. <laughs> oh no, I don't remember this. You don't remember? <laughs> Wait, what was her favorite memory? Yeah, well, that's that's. I was hoping you'd be able to tell us, oh. but um, I remember you showing me this, and I remember I, for a moment, wanted to um, steal your aesthetic and become obsessed <laughs> with Lindsay Lohan because Lindsay Lohan, I believe it, like in her mid twenties, did this interview where they asked what's what's your happiest memory, and they said, and she said to them, she said. <gasps> Yeah, you remember? I think it was it filming the Parent Trap. It was it was the moment she got cast in the oh. Parent Trap <laughs> yes, because she right. got to play two characters. Oh my god! So there was more than one of her. 
Oh, this is, yeah. Yeah, this and is, I, re- I remember oh, you wow. telling me that, and I remember sort of seeing something in that um, that was quite beautiful. Have you graduated maybe from back then where you were sort of more interested maybe in the, the character of Lindsay Lohan? Have you graduated more, like, from what, how you're talking? It sounds like you're dealing more, like, conceptually yeah. with sort of the idea of women passing on to women, passing on to women and yeah. looking to women. Is that sort of a fair assessment or are you still really interested in sort I of character? I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like exclusive to, to either, I guess. I'm, I'm very much interested in the idea of this, a cultural figure that kind of can be represented in um, a minimal, like kind of minimal way. So for example, like, um, Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's, um, who is Holly Golightly, she's kind of just this figure that is so easily recognisable. It's iconic. So you can understand from, like, a black dress and a string of pearls and, like, this long cigarette and, like, a tiara, you know what, you know what that means and it represents a certain type of femininity and a certain myth about femininity. But um, I guess, and I'm interested in that character being um, something that I kind of experienced as a child, but also continuing to experience in these like digital platforms. Like if you search um, Holly Golightly in Google Images or something, there's just thousands upon thousands of women dressing as this character for like Mm. baby showers, like costume parties and Halloween. And there's just like a million different like YouTube tutorials on how to like make these outfits and like have these themed parties and experience this character in all these different ways, which is actually very disparate from the original idea of who that character was, which was kind of nothing like what it is now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about the devolution of, something into it being an idea or not devolution yeah. but maybe elevation? Well, yeah, like um, so just a process of something becoming iconic um, because it represents something that's, I don't know, kind of that really appeals to the culture mm-hmm. that we live in at the moment. So from your examination to sort of get quote-unquote specific, what do you feel that Holly Golightly, Audrey Hepburn in that, in that role represents? Well, I think it's... I think it's just this kind of tragic femininity mixed with glamour. Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea is like really appealing to people for whatever reason. And I think whatever reason that is, is maybe what I'm trying to find out. Maybe. Yeah. But it's mysterious, I think, by nature. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's that sort of dealing in mystery, the black dress. That sort of aesthetic there. Um, now, the way you're framing this work, um, you're doing pressings. It's sort of, you've said to me the word seance a couple of times. <laughs> I'm staging, um, what I'm doing is I'm staging a haunting. So the space, I'm trying to think um, very literally about inhabiting a space during a residency and applying this character to that space. And... So the narrative is that I'm responding to is that Holly Golightly is haunting the space that I'm in slash haunting me and 
whatever the work that I'm making in the space is supposed to kind of be a truthful or an attempt at truthful representation of this mythic event or not mythic who knows mystery but um yeah and so I'm looking at materials and techniques that allow for um me to look at these kind of legacies of truthfulness within those media so painting and drawing have this long history this long legacy of being associated with truth and I mean even though that never was the case it was it's something that can be played with I feel yeah and so in a lot of the the work um, that I'm doing at the moment to get specific it's a lot of um, I think it's called frittage where you get um, whatever substrate or canvas or paper you're working on is pressed up against the object and an impression is taken from it using some kind of paint or graphic material and so there's this so looking at it on the wall or wherever, wherever it is, um, there's this sense that the, the substrate has come into contact, has encountered this object and that it really happened and this was a truthful event because the work is the proof of this encounter. Yes. And so, yeah, in terms of Holly Golightly haunting the space, it's using my own body, using clothes, using materials, different materials to make these impressions, um, to synthesize this kind of proof of the haunting. Like ephemeral chases. Yeah. 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 It is definitely, yeah. The trace is, the trace is the key word. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to be playing a little bit later with sort of some spooky lighting. Ooh, yeah, we yeah. are. Don't say ooh like it wasn't your idea. <laughs> I was imitating a ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and of course, when we bring everyone in on Friday, we're all going to summon a ghost. Yes. Um, one random audience member will get possessed. <laughs> um, so, yep. so that's a house conspiracy guarantee. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> heartwarming. Um, so... When, when, when you're sort of examining this sort of thing, or rather when you're not examining this sort of thing, you did a series um, on zebras. Yes, I did. I did. That was, and that was actually, I feel, something that led to this project mm-hmm. that I'm working on now. Tell yeah. me how zebras lead to Holly Go <laughs> It was more about the Oh, first, the what technique. was the project? Okay, and well, it was, um, I had this, I think um, I was doing a project where I wanted to talk about trace and proof, truth and proof in a work. And um, I thought that if I could make the proof of an event that didn't actually happen but could have happened, um, that would be a really fun thing to do. And so I had um, – I made a another kind of rubbing frittage thing of me sitting in a saddle on top of – some kind of object. I don't remember what it was now. But it, there was... Um, and this drawing that was left gave the impression of a human body astride a zebra. And so I made all of this other supporting work to convince the, the audience that this really did happen. I really did ride the zebra. Did you, did you know it was going to be a zebra before you did the frittage? I 
I think I thought of it while I was doing it. Mm. So, yeah. And then it emerged and then, so you created work. What, what did you create around it to kind of I think convince I had, the audience that you wrote a zebra? Yeah, I think I had some, I think I made a sculpture of some, of some cowboy boots, these white cowboy boots that I wore while riding the zebra. And then I had like a drawing of them. And I liked that um, with the paper, I was making this kind of drawn universe sort of where maybe where this event occurred or maybe not. And um, I think I also, I also did a video work later based on that, which um, I think it's called Guided Tour in Zebra Country, mm. which was, a, yeah, an elaboration on that idea of a drawn universe and um, the possibilities of how that might work. But I had, um, I had a camera kind of on a pedestal and I had myself lassoed to the camera and in this small white room I kind of drew this line around um just around the walls while wearing a cowboy hat and you know the outfit the look and um as the line was drawn um more and more times over the top of it it became a kind of landscape and it was sort of like I was showing the viewer the terrain on which the riding of the zebra took place, perhaps. Hmm, perhaps. Yes. What is it that leads you to this, this concept of the untruth? I think it's just... I think I want people to look at my work and just be... First of all, no 99% sure that this is... Yeah, we're looking at a work that is about untruth or truth or proof but then also be one percent unsure whether or not it actually is true and I think it's a theatrical thing and a very narrative driven thing and I think it's really fun to hear stories I think it's I think that I think it's super fun and I I really like that, but that's that's the audience experience. What mm. sort of I, I kind of want to like dive oh, in and right, sort of okay. dig like what what leads you to it? Because like the, you don't like you don't have to sort of attest to your work's value. Like that's yeah. there. Um, but yeah. what leads you to sort of especially sort of in 2017? And I, I don't want to go political, but like all the stuff with fake news and blah 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 blah. Like truth yeah. is kind of a, well. I guess it's yeah. I think it is to do with that. That kind of I don't know. Maybe it was just a kind of realisation that, like, doing all these kind of university assignments and realising I could, I don't know, say, maybe I could say, oh, yeah, I wrote this over and I actually did make this drawing on its back and there wouldn't be, I don't know, no one was going to take me up on it. I feel like that's just the nature of kind of art making. It's sort of just, I don't know, you can say anything. And maybe, maybe that's what it is. I'm not really sure, to be honest. It's kind of, I don't know. So I think it's fun. I like the story. I like the, I like the theatre of it. I think that's, that's what appeals to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I like the theatre of it too. Are you, are you, especially like sort of in the context of university? Yeah. Are you, are you trying to check like what you can get away with? Maybe. I don't know. But like, I still made that work and it was about, I don't know. It was still a, they. Everyone knew that it didn't happen. Mm, yeah. Maybe did it. 
but yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know what I don't I don't think I have enough distance from that work to like really understand what drove me to make it. I think. I think I need maybe more time or I don't know, is that is that like a super important thing to to know? Who knows? Uh no, you're not like legally obliged to answer my <laughs> questions. I feel legally obliged. <laughs> no, that's not. A, you need to read your contract <laughs> that, um, that we make you sign, where you give me all your money. Oh no! But you don't have to answer my questions. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the trade that you the make. Cult. Um, yeah. yeah, to join the house conspiracy cult. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's really fair, and I think that's one of the the hard things about doing a a podcast with artists about themselves and their work, particularly young and emerging artists, where you're kind of just trying things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel, yeah, I feel pretty secure in, in the way that I'm making work, but it's sort of, I don't know, to ask, you know, what's like the, what's your ultimate motive <laughs> in <laughs> doing stuff? It's kind of, I don't know, it's a difficult difficult to th- thing to answer maybe i'll think of something but yeah at ultimate the moment motive makes you sound a ultimate. bit like a super villain <laughs> yeah yeah i am <laughs> god now i'm now now my mind is is wondering with what your what what but even what my ultimate motive would be in making a work i guess you're just attracted yeah. to things and then I you do them yeah <laughs> <laughs> i make the art no it's just I don't know. I feel like those kind of um, questions, yeah, they're really difficult. And um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the the work that I make and I feel like just a lot of work people make in general is just about a lot of kind of immediate reactions to things and maybe not understanding at the time but then maybe, like, understanding later. I mean, there are things about, like, the zebra, like, writing a zebra that are sort of evocative or something. There's this... I mean, I, I, saw, I think I saw this movie when I was really way too young called Sheena. Have you heard of that? It's, no, like, um, it's this... I think she's, like, this... this, like, blonde woman who's riding around Africa on a zebra... And she's kind of saving people. She's like a superhero, but she wears like kind of Flintstone outfit. And it's like, I don't know, even though it's like modern times in the desert, she's still wearing like, like a leopard skin, like bandeau or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that looks like it's been like torn. But um, yeah, there's lots of like strange like colonial issues with that evidently um, riding around on a zebra and there's also I don't know the issue of I guess telling this story that's I guess telling telling a story that's supposedly like the way I told it I feel was sort of had this really personal confessional tone to it and so it was like a secret or something but I don't know I think it's just I felt like it was loaded and it could be read in a bunch of different ways. But I don't know. I'm not sure I'd want to totally 
spoil it. Yeah, that's not the you right don't word. Explicate yeah, everything because, because yeah. you'll remove all the meaning. Yeah, because part of it was that it was supposed to be about this mysterious kind of this mysterious thing where it's like, why is someone writing the zebra and why is someone making work about it? Why is someone trying to convince me that this was a true thing? What's at stake here? And I think that's kind of, maybe that's actually what the work was about, about. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I find it interesting that idea that like, of not knowing like the full exact motivations behind it, particularly when you're dealing in something that's sort of semi-true but only because of it's trying to evoke a feeling that yeah. is almost semi-true. Yeah. So it's trying to evoke uh, doubt. Do you making art, particularly as a, as a young person, when you when you sort of like like not to call you a youngin um, <laughs> or, or anything, not to condescend, um, you're older than me. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> do you, do you, do you think that trying to approximate truth when you're young and you don't have a certain amount of insight into the world like is it is it best to sort of load your art in a way that sort of isn't obscured but is maybe speaks to something greater than itself and sort of try to give it meaning beyond simple confession I'm not entirely sure I'm going here but do you know yeah. do you kind of get what I'm kind of getting it sounds like just try and make like good stuff like like <laughs> yeah i i'm i mean there's i mean when you're in especially when you're you've done an art degree or you're doing an art degree there's this kind of there's this feeling that you have to somehow play this game and move your 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 work becomes like these pieces that you move and it's a very like strategic model and i think that I was kind of thinking about that a lot when I was making those kind of works and st- I still do now. And I think about how, how could that be like more playful or what's the, what's the value of a strategic model in this kind of art making scenario where um, if you can make an artwork, an artwork isn't just good if you've made all these moves and you've solved the problems that the medium presents or you've solved the, like the historic legacy that maybe this medium presents. It doesn't make it a good work if you've just outlined what the what the cultural problems are with this these materials or these pictures. It's um I feel like it's more interesting to play to be more playful at the moment and just kind of and I think that's why I'm doing so many narratives and yeah, and work, looking at truth and proof because I think it's a kind of playful approach to these legacies that I'm working with. Right. Yeah. So art that's purely critical. Yeah, well, I think it's... I like guess, yours isn't. But yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I would say my art is... I would say my, my work is critical but, yes, not, but... not like offering one position I'm trying to when I make work I'm trying to open I kind of feel where multiple positions can be taken Mm. it's it's more like yeah the painting is a tableau for where these things could take place right which is particularly inherent to something that's 
that's that's that's an so untruth. narrative driven. And yeah. So narrative driven. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. So sure. By by sort of building a work that presents an issue rather than presents a position on an issue. Is that maybe? Yeah. I'm trying to. Yeah. Maybe what I'm doing is trying to negate this. Negate like a a strategy that's really involved with a kind of art world scenarios or art history scenarios by presenting this narrative and altering ultimately kind of altering the intention behind the work or or the viewer's understanding of the author's intention so usually there's a kind of knowingness in artworks so there's like this person is making painting and they're looking at how can what's painting supposed to be about today and how are the is the modernist problem or the post like the problems of postmodernism now like how are they how are we dealing with those in a strategic way in a way that kind of wins the game you know of art and how can yeah wins the game yeah that's that's the most horrible sentence I've ever heard yeah and so what I what I think I'm doing at the moment is trying to is I think I'm trying to navigate that and navigate it within a university environment and the way I'm doing that is with narratives and so that kind of negates the the position of um of yeah of a strategic model of the author's knowingness and places a kind of doubt in the mind of the viewer where the author could be a character in a story so I mean maybe something like like outsider art and I'm obviously not an outsider artist but there's when you look at that, those works that are often so fantastic, there's also you have this narrative associated with the author of that work and that can be really exciting, I think. And it's not that I'm kind of modelling my work on, like, outsider art, but it's, it's this idea that the author and the role of the painter and the role of the drawer or just the maker, I guess, in my case could be kind of questioned or, yeah, put doubt in the mind of the viewer. It's Mm. a fun thing to do. Yeah, right. So speaking on that, um, do you think that the identity of the artist is inherently tied to the artwork? Do you think it matters? Do you think art should be diverse... uh, Dis, dis, disengaged from the identity of its creator? like I think it's just... I think that we almost... I don't know. You can design an artwork that distances yourself from the work. So a lot of... I mean, I guess at the time... Maybe... Uh, I don't know. Modernism was kind of about... No, postmodernism was kind of about having this distance and rejecting this idea of, like, the genius author... Etc. But um, yeah, I don't know. Are you interested in personally having your identity associated with your paintings, or are you more interested in just what the paintings are on their own? Or is by making Um, rubbings of yourself in a fake event inherently tying (laughs) you to your art, both as Holly Anderson, the human, and Inevitably, <laughs> as Holly Anderson, the, the character who rides zebras. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's a difficult one because I think, I think, first of all, that the artist 
is always within the work and it's not something that you can try and, yeah, I think about this is where I was going before but then lost my brain. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of like, um, like that's the, like your, oh, I lost my place again. What was the question again? <laughs> the question was around um, you as a character, yeah. both, yeah, you as a character within the artwork and you as an artist. Yeah. Within the artwork. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, for, for me, I am thinking about my role as a, as a practitioner and also because I've been painting for so long and I'm still using paint in the work that I make, there's kind of the role of the painter is kind of freighted with all this kind of these funny these funny ideas and these funny images, like the idea of like the beret wearer, the smock wearer, the French like croissant eater mm-hmm. in the studio. Like H- having one of those palettes. Yes, yes, exactly. But this kind of, I feel like there's already narratives surrounding um, painters. And so therefore for me to kind of insert myself in into these narratives in ways that maybe subvert our ideas of what that role can be. Maybe that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. But um, in regards to like whether or not we should be distancing ourselves, I think it's kind of a naive, a naive idea to be able to distance yourself from the work that you're making. And, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be constantly referring to yourself I guess, but I feel like it's a kind of given almost. So I have a sort of follow-up question there. Um, and maybe this is a, this is a difficult question. Ooh. Is if you, if you die, <laughs> I yeah. don't trust that it's guaranteed with you. Um, if you die yeah. uh, in say 50 years time and Ooh. Your identity is completely erased from the world. Uh, that wouldn't happen now, but let's say your identity oh, is completely okay. erased. Yeah. But your artworks remain, and it's uh, this artwork, the same artwork, the artwork of you riding a zebra. Does yeah. your art lose meaning if the people viewing the artwork have no conception, connection, or anything of you does it have less meaning if it's anonymized um, i would think not because i mean when you're when you go to a gallery most of the time you don't know who's made the made the work mm-hmm. i mean usually most people i mean if you haven't like most people don't go to art school most people don't know like names of artists and stuff but like yeah no no but I'm, yeah. i guess i'm asking like specifically in terms of a work which features you right yeah. in an imaginary event yeah oh, i don't know i don't think that because yeah, people coming to it blind, mm-hmm. you see a figure and... But it's also... I mean, I guess it depends work to work, but maybe the work that I'm working on um, today is um, it's a rubbing of me in this scenario. So I have, like, um, the shoes that I'm wearing and the pants that I'm wearing and my hands and my the shadow of my face and the way that the the image is coded and the way that it's been produced is evident to the audience. And so, and maybe a viewer can see that, yes, that it's a, that's a rubbing, that's a tracing of something rather than that is a representation of it, um, in a 
Right, the process yeah. becomes yeah, the evident process, in the yeah. aesthetic. And so even if like people don't know me, which is most of the time. It's most people. <laughs> statistically, yeah. It's, um, it's more about the knowledge that someone made these marks mm-hmm. and that the person who made them was standing in this position and they did this and um, this was the event that took place. On this surface, and so the way the way you you tie these works, that what what gives them meaning beyond you as a person, um, is the narrative. Yeah, is the clear sense of narrative both in process and in the work. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. I think it's um, well, at least the work that I'm making for for this um residency, mm. I think um. Yeah, so there's there's one where I've made a, a kind of breakfast scene, a breakfast at Tiffany's scene, to be specific, where um, it was at this table, actually, that we're sitting at, and I had breakfast with Holly Golightly at the other end. And so there's this... It can... You can easily read into the image that a piece of fabric has been thrown over the table and that this event and the plates and the hands on the table and the long cigarettes have been recorded faithfully or truthfully, yes, without any kind of doctoring at all, yeah. I really like that and I really, I really, I actually think you you gave a really, really compelling answer, yeah, I think, and I think, I think your answer applies also to the zebra work. Yeah. Like, it, you're right. You're right. So long as you build a, a strong narrative for people to latch onto. Yeah. And this idea of truthful... truth, The truth of a pressing yeah. is really interesting to me yeah. because it can be the truth of a staged event. Yeah. But that's still, in a way, its own sort yeah. of sense of truth. Yeah. It's kind of exploiting a blind spot in that, in that technique in terms of truth. So, I mean to give away trade secrets or something (laughs) when I was making it. I didn't have everything the way it was as it appears in the, in the final image. It's kind of, I was like, oh, well, this plate would look better over here. And so I move it. And it is, it's about the doctoring that takes place. And so it's, yeah, it's about the illusion. Right. Illusion of it. Which? The artifact which, yeah. going back, ties exactly to the illusions of feminized roles yeah. and feminized professions and feminized figures like yeah. Holly Golightly. And also the narrative that this event and this story is, like, worthwhile telling. The idea that someone, if you can see that someone's gone to all of this kind of trouble or and done all of this kind of proof and truth, it implies that there's a story to be told and just because of the nature of the images, they don't easily part with those meanings. There's, there is still mystery there. Even though you can see, yes, a foot was probably here at this point in time, it's still like, well, what was the point of telling me this? What are we talking about? And I feel like making these, making these spaces and making these artefacts kind of yeah, open spaces for rumination about maybe why any of this exists at all. 
That was, I really like that answer. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to take the, the interview much, much further because I mean, there is clear evidence that someone has slaved over these images because you've been in so much working scrupulously yes. and quietly <laughs> and very quietly, very, very mysteriously. Yeah. Um, she doesn't like a lot of noise. Holly go lightly. Yeah. She doesn't like it. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like when she's not out on the town. Yeah, she's nocturnal, so mm. she likes to do the sleeping during the day. And that's when I enter the room. Right. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of narrative sense. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good narrative you've yeah. crafted. Um, one I can latch on to. Um, and speaking of people latching on to narratives, I have one sort of final question to sort of tie back to the beginning of the podcast. And mm. I wanna what what are your, your parents? Um, think of your work. What do you, how do your parents interact with you as artist parents of an artist? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, I don't know if they've seen a lot of my more recent work. You I feel like there's some, I don't hide it. No, I, we just like, a lot of it's bulky, so I don't take a lot of it home. But I think there's, I think there is this nice kind of exchange that happens um, between us. And I mean, I kind of grew up being unknowingly being taught by them and I feel like now that I've kind of starting to make my own work it's sort of maybe they're making work that responds to mine maybe Mm. I will feel weird if they listen to this and then (laughs) give me a strange look but yeah They'll be sitting. They'll be sitting in the lounge room, yeah. listening to it through a boombox. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what artists do. Artists love boomboxes. Yeah, retro, retro. Hey, thanks so much for sitting and uh, talking. Um, Thank you for having me. No, that's okay. Uh, as we exit, uh, can people find you online anywhere? People can find me online. I have um, I have a website. It's hollyandersonart.com. Mm-hmm. It's very original. It's a good title. title. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. And I also have an Instagram where I occasionally post the odd process work, etc. And that's holly.e.a. Great. Yeah. And um, after this is done, after we wrap up on Friday, you bump out over the weekend. Yeah. Um, what's next? Finishing honours? Yeah, I'm going to finish my honours and um, yeah, try to get some exhibitions together. Wonderful. Yeah. I can't wait to see more of your work. Absolutely love what you've done while you've been here. And I really enjoyed this interview. Yeah, me too. Um, For full disclosure, I think I was a bit sleepy at the start. (laughs) But I think we actually, we got into a a really, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. So um, thank thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. The House Conspiracy podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>